Hey, welcome to the Night Church Podcast. My name is Philip, and I am so excited for what you're about to listen to. These are sermons and presentations by young adults and for young adults. If you're visiting in the area, we hope that you join us for Night Church on Friday nights. Or if you're a regular here in Loma Linda, I hope that you'll share this sermon with someone that you love and care about. Now, for the sermon. Happy Sabbath, everyone. The Sabbath has already started, sun has set, and the reason why I like coming to church at this time, because we, we, we've been walking with Jesus all week, but the special thing about the Sabbath is that we get to share it with each other. It's special to be in community. So let's invite the Holy Spirit once again as we begin our time together today. Lord, We come to you with open hearts, grateful for carrying us through the week, and what we ask right now is that you open our minds to be receptive to you. We want to invite you into this space, into our very lives. Please change it. And also, Lord, please hide me. Uh, This is not my message, but let yours be heard. Hide me behind your presence and speak life into each and every one of us today. In your name. Amen. So, I came face to face with the reality that I will have to wait. I didn't like it. It's just waiting. There's nothing you can do in between. You just begin and you just sit down. And as I was looking at my own story, one chapter was coming to the the end. And I was expecting the pages to turn and the next one to begin. But as I was sitting there reading the end of one chapter, the other one just wouldn't begin. And I didn't understand what was going on because there should have been a sense of progression. That's how I imagine it to be. I imagine it to be linear, but it was just not going ahead. I had things figured out before. I come to Loma Linda, two years, and then I can move on. The world will continue opening up. The Lord is preparing places for me that I could go and I could stand there and I could just enjoy his goodness and grace. I could save the world. It sounds so easy and it sounds so delightful. But as I was there three years ago, actually, finishing my MPH up on the school uh, next to us uh, in public health, and my, my program was global health. The two-year program was coming to an end and, and things were not just not proceeding the way I imagined that they would. Like, I was imagining God to prepare places for me that I could go and stand in. After all, he has been leading me so far. So, what now? Like, what's the reason for this halt? I didn't get it. Uh, With the globe being on full lockdown, all my future plans went down the drain. Internships got canceled. Uh, Travel plans got postponed indefinitely, and I got into the place that was most uncomfortable for Myers-Briggs type J's. No plan, uh, no future vision for five to ten years. You just live day by day. How many of you have been in that situation? Like completely, completely lost all sense of control. 
See, I was ready to just go back home and just to find something much more comfortable. But um, like with lockdown, that's not really a possibility. So while I waited, my mentor told me, well, David, why don't you consider submitting your application to a doctoral program here at the School of Public Health? While you wait, I mean, you're not going to lose anything. So I thought about it. I really don't want to go back to school. I've been in school for who knows how long already. In Hungary, now I finished it here in the US. I, I really just want to go to the next level. I want, I want the next chapter. I don't want to go back, back um, in the book. But still, I said, well, what's there to lose? So I submitted my application. I did, and, and once I did that, I quickly realized that the application deadline passed three months ago. That was in March. So the process didn't, stand, didn't start out too well. Um, that's, that wasn't a good omen. So I said, well, if this is how it's going to be, well then, anyway, let's give it our best shot. So we emailed back and forth. They did open the back door for me. I did get my application in. They said, good, we'll get back to you in about a couple of weeks. I said, brilliant, I can do a couple of weeks. After that, I can figure out if I'm staying or if I'm going. So days pass, a couple of weeks pass, the deadline that they told me that they would get back to me came and then went. So what now? Uh, like here I was thinking that, that God is going to lead me forward, but right now I'm realizing that my trust in him is a lot shakier than I imagined it to be. It was being put to the test and I was, I was feeling weak in the area of trust. And here's the thing, the weight makes you waver. And it makes you want to do something about it. You can't just sit there. Now, and you feel restless. And this restlessness, um, there's, a new, there's a character in the New Testament who I asked Carl not to talk about to you before. I'm about to unveil it to you. He also felt restless. Uh, he was forced to wait. While he was with Jesus among the disciples, he... He said that he thought that he was on the right track. Things were building up. There was a progression. Big things were happening, and Jesus was really coming through. They were getting to the end of their story, as we know it, together. And all of a sudden, the page turns, and the next chapter con contains defeat, failure. Like, how could that happen? They didn't understand it. Their master was taken he was beaten, he was shamed, he was humiliated, and then he was executed. That left the disciples feeling shattered. They were scattered. They were alone. They went back to the place where they last met him to hold on to some sweeter feelings. The future seemed very scary for them, and there was one who did not want to sit there and wait. He wanted to go his own way. He did that because he wavered and he doubted. And that is how we come to know him, actually. He did a thing once, and now that defines the rest of his existence. He's known by doubting. The Greeks knew him as Didymus. Those who spoke Aramaic knew him as Thomas. And if I tell you Thomas, you think about maybe two things. You think of Thomas the tank engine, <laughs> or you think about Thomas the doubter. Doubter. Like, that's what you know him by, the failure the black sheep among the disciples next to Judas. But what if there is more to him than that? 
What if Jesus saw something else in him than a failure and a doubter? So in this series that we're doing right now, we're exploring New Testament characters, and we are looking at it from this perspective. My struggles, his grace. So today, let's just try to redefine who Thomas is. So open your Bibles up with me, or your devices, whatever uh, you have on you, and turn with me to John chapter 14. And while you do that, we'll be looking at the very beginning of uh, the chapter. And while you do that, let me, let me tell you something about uh, the Gospel of John. After chapter 12, you read the events of the last week. So John spends about half of his time thinking and writing about the last events uh, in Jesus' life. Big things have been happening and expectations are through the roof. The disciples also somewhat tense because Jesus has been saying ominous things. Now, Jesus senses this, and he tells them something reassuring. I just love how other-centered Jesus is when he, when he, uh, when he considers the situation. He, he, had, he would have all the reason in the world to ask for, uh, for encouragement, but indeed, he is the one who turns to them. In verse 1 of chapter 14, we read, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. I think it's easy for us to interpret these words. It makes just so much more sense. Like, oh yeah, that's what he was talking about but we're looking at the story with the end in mind. But for those living the story, it did not seem as linear. If only they had our understanding, they would have dealt with the situation a lot better. So what does Thomas hear when Jesus says this? He only hears that Jesus is going to go. This is, this is goodbye. So he says, uh, verse five, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? What he's saying is, like, hold on, hold your horses. Please don't go. Don't leave us here. Don't leave me here. Stay here with me. He's actually being quite romantic in that, isn't he? And then he goes on to saying, don't, don't cause us the pain of separation. Like, you don't need to go. But if, if you really insist on going, and that's on you if you leave, by the way, if you really insist on going, you need to tell me right now, when you're leaving, which bus you're taking, which route you're taking, what the destination is, and when you're coming back to get us. And I'm really interested in the destination and the way because I may not want to wait for you all the while. I'm, I want you right now. So what does Jesus tell him? One of the most memorable things in the Gospel of John. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Thomas, come on, Thomas. You know the way. I am the way. You've been here with me for so long, for, for three years. You know me. You know the way. You know where I'm going. You, you shouldn't have any questions about that. As long as you stick to me, stick to what I have told you, and if you do not turn to the left or to the right, 
I will always be with you. And I'm taking you on an adventure, by the way. You will not want to miss this ride. So, but it takes a bit of time before these new lessons are learned, especially when that's the last thing that you want. It takes a lot of time, and it takes much more time than you think that it will actually take for you to learn these lessons. So Thomas had his hands full with his new curriculum. But soon after this interaction with Jesus, uh, Judas uh, left the group. His path never to align again with Jesus, only to cross in the most unexpected way. So the 11 made their way with Jesus into the garden, and then they only returned there scattered and shattered. And within 24 hours, they were absolutely hopeless. And for two more days, it wasn't only their present, but their future as well that they were afraid of. It was their very lives that hung in the balance. Their source of stability, their master has left them. And also, they had to deal with that gripping loss, that fear of uncertainty. Everyone just hunkered down in the upper room except for one. That one person decided to go his own way. He walks out. When the weight makes you waver, it makes you want to take your own way. So this is why we met Thomas at the very beginning. He's on his own way. He's retreated. He's recalculating, he's detouring, he's going around in circles, whatever you want to call it. It's his own way. He has no other plan in mind. He has no other way in his sight. He sees no other possible way, especially not the ones that the others are taking. He's not going to just stick around. But he turns to the left and turns to the right on his own way. But at the end of the day, he just finds himself going back to that same exact place. And this is where we pick up in chapter 20, if you turn with me over there. Verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Have you ever had the feeling of, the, the fear of missing out, FOMO? If only Thomas had social media to prepare him for that moment. Like, whatever the disciples told him, it came as a complete shock to him. They saw Jesus and he didn't? What cruel game of betrayal is this? Like, why doesn't he get to see Jesus as well? <laughs> we have seen the Lord. They have it so easy, don't they? So this is what he tells them. But, but he says to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Did you catch that? I will not believe. This is a disciple that we're talking about, a follower of Jesus. I will not believe. It's as if he's trying to convince himself that that way is not, a that is not an option for me. He's desperately trying to convince himself about that. Have you ever looked around your friends and said, and said, well, they for sure have everything figured out. Everything's going quite well for them, isn't it? I mean, they just graduated. 
they've flown off to places, they're taking a vacation, and then they're about to start proper jobs with better pay, and here I am, still stuck in school. You can also look at those who are ahead of you in your program and say, well, they have the comp exams figured out pretty well, haven't they? They just make it look so easy. Oh, what about this? They just got engaged. Even worse, they're getting married. Oh my. And here I am, and here I am, doubting if I have my game still because it's been quite a while since I've been on a proper date at all. And then you don't have a car, or one that con continuously breaks down. And then they have the audacity to talk about upgrading to the next car, maybe an electric car. Yeah? Well, that sounds fair. And here you are sharing this, this hole of a dorm room with another person, barely enough for the both of you to squeeze into it. And you hear your friends talking about getting a new place with a hot tub. <laughs> really? Really, God? Like, miracles seem to happen tonight. I mean, and they have put themselves together well, because if you look at them, they can just study all day. And here you are, after 20 minutes, you envy the stray cat on the road. Like, miracles always happen to them, but not to us. What do you wish that you had that others have today? What do you wish that God would have given you yesterday? Hey, I hope you've really enjoyed the first part of this sermon. These sort of productions do require some financial giving, and so if you'd like to take part in reaching more young adults across North America and even the world, would you consider giving on praxisministry.org? And there you can sign up and select Praxis Young Adults to be part of our giving campaign. Hope you enjoy the rest of this sermon. I will not believe until I hold uh, my letter of acceptance in my own hands. I will not believe until I get to read about my scholarship with my own eyes. I will not believe until I get to put my arms around him or her. I will not believe until I get to experience Jesus the same way they have. I will not believe. Thomas, did you hear what you just said? You will not believe? Listen to yourself. Do you remember what Jesus told you just a few days ago? Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Are you just so obsessed with whatever it is that you have to wait about that you've lost sight of the way? You've lost sight of me? Come on, Thomas. You could do better than that. And you telling yourself that uh, you will not believe is definitely not part of the solution, by the way. You're only making it much more difficult for yourself to believe. You really should stop doing that right away. So where do you go from here, Thomas? Where do you go? I think he was thinking to himself, well, my way didn't really seem to 
pan out. I mean, I went my own way. I didn't, I didn't meet Jesus, but the others who hung out over here, they waited, they met him. What if I try their way this time? No, no matter how much I hate it, I can just sit and wait for him. You pick up in verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Mm-hmm. It must have been a long week for him, infinitely longer because he had to wait. Who loves waiting? I mean, just that uncertain anticipation. You never know when it's going to happen. I mean, he stuck around, but he couldn't really share the joy of the other disciples, nor could they bear his mood. But he just, he just hung around either way. He just stuck in there. Maybe if I wait one more day, Jesus will show up. So how long have you had to wait before? Have you waited for something for an hour or a couple hours? Have you had to wait for a day or maybe a week? Have you had to anticipate something for more than a month? What does it do to you, to your spirit and your soul, if you have to wait for more than a year, or maybe two, or maybe even more than that? But what if patience is not about how long you wait? What if patience is how you behave while you wait? Let me say that again. Patience is not about how long you can wait. Patience is how you behave while you wait. Can you stand your ground? Can you keep watch? Do you go to the window and look out at the horizon and say, I hope my immature kid comes back and brings my other son back to me as well. There's Gus, his sermon last week. Can you lie still in the stench, in the whale's belly, before you can get to back, back to the path that you have abandoned before? Can you sit still in the Egyptian prison until it's time for you to step back into the sun and into the palace? Can you wait until it's just too long for him to come and wake up your brother back from his eternal sleep? Only the wait could be just a bit shorter. Because the way I have experienced it, like you're either, it's either happening now or it's never going to happen. But there's seemingly no middle ground between these two. It's just either now or never. So how can you be unwavering in this? This is the problem. The wait makes you waver. It makes you want to do something about it. But here's the thing. It seems like you're not doing anything while you're waiting, whereas you're doing so much. You are tempering your soul. You're holding back. You're restraining your passions, your emotions, whatever it is that you feel forced to do. You're contending with yourself. You are learning to depend on God. Like the weight is one of the hottest crucibles you will ever be in. Like it's that, it's that wasteland experience, it's that desert experience. It's those days that you, sp- that you spend in blindness and darkness. 
not knowing if there is a way forward. But out of that place, you come back reforged. You come back transformed, and you come back redefined. The way God sees you, you will be capable for so much more than you thought that you were capable of before. You were breaking through barriers. And all of a sudden, something magical happens. The puzzle pieces just start falling into that place. You start to see a clear picture, and then things just come together naturally. All of a sudden, what you've been waiting for for so long just falls into your lap. I hated the wait. I hated every minute of it. Because one week, I was, I was, I was, I was completely wavering. One week, I wanted to stay and, and explore what the future would be like if I would stay here. But the next week, I just wanted comfort. I just wanted to go back home, go to the easy way, retreat, basically. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to sound the retreat and just not be found anymore and just like, okay, I'm done with this. Anything but the wait. I just hated every single minute of it. It started in June, and at the beginning, I didn't even know how long it was going to last. But later on, I find out, well, registration deadline is the 17th of September, so, by that time, I'm, I'll most likely know what is going to happen. So, as the deadline came closer, I started, started uh, to get a bit more antsy. Like, okay, but really, nothing is happening. I mean, we're counting weeks now. Now we're counting days and, like, dead silence. Really, God? Really? Like, do we have to really push this until the very edge? Like, what, what's the tipping point for you? Like, wh like, what do I have to prove to you? And then all of a sudden, on the evening of the 16th of September, my phone rang. And then I picked up, and the person on the other end says, David, um, you're in. <laughs> you got it. And you can start next week. Just, just uh, get and uh, just make sure that you register by tomorrow because, uh, because things are picking out right away. You'll have to start next week immediately. And then they proceeded to explain to me what was going on behind the scenes that I didn't see before. And that's when I realized something very crucial. That God was concealing what he was already working on behind the scenes for me for two reasons. He wanted to hit two birds with one stone. Number one, he wanted to establish my next mission. And number two, he was going to make sure that in this process, our trust develops, that I learn to depend only on him. Amen. That summer, he really turned my life around. And he told me, David, stop doubting and believe. Verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you all. Peace. That is exactly what Thomas needed. And the fact that Jesus just appeared in the room, like he doesn't need a door. He doesn't need a way. He is the way maker. He doesn't need open doors. Like He is the creator. He makes these things happen. And then he goes on and then he pulls Thomas very close to him and says, Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. I just love this picture of, 
of Jesus stepping close to Thomas and say, hey, this is what you wanted, touch it. Jesus is exposing his hurt parts to him. He's drawing him very close, touch me, put your hand into my side. This is the closeness that Thomas was looking for, where was hoping for from the very beginning. I love this, Jesus reached out to him and this transformed the doubter. It's, it's fascinating what, what, uh, what Thomas says here. He says in verse 28, my Lord and my God. If you think about it, the entire gospel of John built up to this one statement. This is what John concludes his gospel with. After this, we only have the epilogue. An, an unlikely, wavering side character now steps forward to say the pivotal sentence in John's gospel, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thomas the believer. I think that sounds a lot better than Thomas the doubter. That is how God saw him, Thomas the believer. And if you're interested, Come with me to Sabbath school tomorrow morning and maybe we can come up with an even catchier name for him than Thomas the Believer. I can only imagine what Jesus was thinking as he was looking over Thomas's life. Like, Thomas, I'm so proud of you. You've been walking along the right path. You've been right next to me for three years. And I know that you can carry on for much longer than this. You want me to stay here with the, in the valley with you, but I want to take you to the mountain tops. I want to take you to the views. I want, to, I want you to have this sense of wonder. I want our relationship to, like, I want our relationship to strengthen. You need to live this life of adventure, but you can only do this if you step out of your fear, if you stop doubting, and if you believe. Don't doubt that there is a way, because I am the way. If you believe in me, it means that you do what I tell you to do, and if I tell you to go, you go. There will always be a path ahead. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse seven says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Sometimes God reveals to us what the next steps are that we have to take. Um, and he tells us exactly what it is that we have to do and when we have to do it. And that's awesome. But sometimes he brings us to a fork in the road and says, well, you get to choose now. Do you want to go left or do you want to go right? It's up to you. I can use either way as long as you stay faithful to me. So you get to choose. But at other times, yours is only to wait. So how can you wait? What is the best way of waiting? What are the pitfalls of waiting that you need to avoid? Some of the don'ts of waiting that I uh, discovered as I was thinking about this is, number one, don't retreat. Don't go back to something familiar, comfortable, but that is undeniably worse. That just doesn't work. The relationship that you got out, now you're feeling lonely, so you're thinking, what if I do, I mean, what if I go back, maybe just shoot a text, maybe just give them a call, see how they react, and like it's better than this, but honestly, remember the heartbreak, remember the pain, and remember where God had to build you up from after, after you left that relationship, or that job, like you left it recently and you left it for a reason. But now 
you're thinking of going back just because they would hire you back, you say. But is it really worth it because that job sucked the soul out of you? Or you could go back home and you could risk unlearning all, this, all the lessons that you learned over here because we all know that you can't go back home without becoming the person who you were before. Don't retreat. Always move on ahead. The other thing that you can't do is absolutely nothing. Like, don't just be passive in your waiting. Does that even, like, that's, that's not waiting, that's giving up. Like, excluding yourself from everything and then just binge watching and, and accepting this perpetual state of apathy, really? That is admitting defeat and, like, how is that different from telling God, like, I will not believe. Don't retreat and don't be passive in your waiting. So what are the good things that you can do or that you should do while you wait? First of all, have high expectations. Be expectant. Know and trust that God is going to move in your life and act accordingly. Like see, like ask yourself what it is that I can do right now that does not interfere with my waiting but actually helps God open doors for me. You can go to doors and knock, but you don't have to knock them down. Let God open up whatever door it is that he wants to let you in. Do things that sustain your joy and your hope. Commit to something. Make sure that you stay balanced and focused, that your spirit remains intact during this season of waiting. Act as if your future depended only on you, but pray to God as if it only depended on him. That leads me to my next point. Never let go of God. There's a great chance that this waiting period in your life will be a defining time in your story. It is going to change who you are. So when you feel the pressure, the tension, and the restlessness really weigh you down, just use that momentum and, and sit with God. Go down to your knees, just sit with him, whatever you feel comfortable, but don't stand up until you feel calm again. And, what, and how should you talk to God in that, in that time? First of all, don't start by just like putting all your petitions in front of him. Stop yourself, restrain those petitions for a while and start by thanking him for the concrete things that he's already done in your life. Not generally, not vaguely, but for the concrete steps that he has taken in your life to bless you. And then start praising him. Praise him for the solution that he is going to give you, that he is working on behind the scenes. He never stops. He's always working. And there's a great chance that whatever it is that you find the hardest to learn is exactly the lesson that he wants you to learn in that season. And when you do ask at the end of your prayer, don't ask for the journey to become any easier. But ask for strength that you may, that you may carry on and ask for wisdom. That you may discern when it is that you have to wait and when it is that you have to take action. That you know when he is the one moving. And when he moves, you will know it and you can do whatever it is that he tells you to do. So what are you waiting 
for right now? What are you waiting for, Ruben? <laughs> Proposal, that's right. In, right there with you. Michael, what are you waiting for? Wayne, what it is that keeps you up at night? What is it that keeps you feeling restless? And, and ask yourself this question, how can this be a defining moment for you? Today we redefine Thomas, and we did that by redefining his doubt. And by redefining his doubt, we redefined ours as well. We can take the opportunity of waiting and turn it, turn it into our opportunity to express belief, to demonstrate that we have faith. Let the way you wait define your next chapter. Jesus says, blessed are those who have not seen and believed. Hey, I'm so glad that you listened to the Night Church podcast sermon today. I know that God is going to do great things in your life. Whatever you felt and heard from the Lord through this sermon, I hope that you would share this with someone that you love and care about and that you would consider even joining us one Friday evening. Blessings to you and hope you get to listen to the next one coming up soon.